session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. Good afternoon and welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tawakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. Again, our studio number 310-441-0555. Before I get started, I wanted to make an announcement for an event happening tomorrow night here in Los Angeles. It's the Iranian American Bar Association of Los Angeles's 14th annual No Ruse Gala. Tomorrow night, Thursday, March 14th at 7 p.m. at the Olympic Collection. Tickets are $85 for members and $95 for non-members at the door. And uh, I went to the event a few years ago, and it was a wonderful event, and I had a great time. And there's a great opportunity, not just for lawyers, but also for people to network and meet many people. And there's food and DJ and dancing, and it should be a great night. So hope you'll be there tomorrow night, March 14th uh, at 7 p.m. at the Olympic Collection for the Iranian-American Bar Association's 14th Annual No Ruse Gala. And also... Uh, there will be a special speaker at the event, Parham Holakwi, my brother, who I'm very proud of, and I'm sure he's going to give a great talk. And the topic of his talk is very interesting. It's on the future of work and the role of the law and lawyers in the economy of the fourth industrial revolution. And so I'm sure that's going to be a very interesting talk for everyone who gets to go. So if you are in the L.A. area, definitely go check this out tomorrow night. Um and thank you to the friends at the Iranian-American Bar Association for uh, letting us know about it and for having my brother there. All right, let me get into the books of the week. I did not do a show Monday night, so um, I'll start with the book uh, summary. But first, the book for this week that I'll talk about next week is Skin in the Game by Nassim Nicholas Taleb. Skin in the Game, Hidden Asymmetries in Daily Life. Uh, and... Nassim Taleb wrote a book called The Black Swan, which actually I was just talking about my brother, but Parham had recommended it to me, and I read it several years ago. And at the bookstore, I saw that he had a new book. And so I've mentioned how I judge books by their cover a lot of time. This time I judged it even more by the author, but I really thought he was a brilliant thinker in what he wrote in The Black Swan. So I wanted to see what he has written now. So that's Skin in the Game by Nassim Taleb. I'll be talking about that on Monday's show. But getting into the book of the week from this past week that I'll talk about today, The Highly Sensitive Person by Elaine Aaron. The Highly Sensitive Person, How to Thrive When the World Overwhelms You. And so I had several people make recommendations about either covering this topic, highly sensitive people, on the air or reading a book about it. And then when I saw this book, I thought it would be a good opportunity to do that and also to read it myself. And even I had, I recognize a reaction towards this topic, the highly sensitive person, because I wasn't sure what the concept was. Was it this concept that people are sensitive and we have to be sensitive to them? 
Was it this idea of a new diagnosis that doesn't exist that would be proposed? Um, but in this book, Dr. Aaron does explain what she means by a highly sensitive person. And as she puts it, 15 to 20 percent of people would fall in this category. And not only that, she says that we can find 15 to 20 percent of most higher mammals have a portion or that portion of their population who are more sensitive to things, to stimulation, and can get more easily uh, aroused or overstimulated by, by things. So just to get an idea, she has a test in the book where you can see if you are indeed a highly sensitive person yourself, and it includes questions like, other people's moods affect me. I tend to be very sensitive to pain. I am deeply moved by the arts or music. I startle easily. I am annoyed when people try to get me to do too many things at once. Changes in my life shake me up. I notice and enjoy delicate or fine scents, tastes, sounds, works of art. And that's just a, a few of them. Uh, another one that's important is when I was a child, my parents or teachers seemed to see me as sensitive or shy. And she also talks about how we use this word shy in a lot of ways to describe people who might just be more sensitive, but shy has this negative label. And also, as she mentions, and I think it's very important, this word sensitive has a negative connotation attached to it too. Very often people are told, and she mentions in the book, oh, you're just too sensitive. You're too, and in a way it gets uh, implied that you're saying you're too weak. You shouldn't be upset or hurt by this thing or things that are upsetting you. And she tries to reframe this, which I did like in the book, this concept that being sensitive is not a bad thing, black and white. It, it can mean lots of different things, but overall it's not just a bad thing. And if we think about an instrument that's more sensitive, for example, if something is trying to detect sound, a more sensitive instrument picks up more things. It can pick up more subtle things that a less sensitive instrument will not. And so in this way, that is a strength. However, at the same time, this more sensitive instrument is more likely to get overwhelmed. If there is a lot of sound, it might not be able to take it all in and might get overwhelmed. So similarly, sensitive people are the same way in the way she's describing it, that they feel things, more subtle things, they take things in more, which can actually be very good, but at the same time, they can get overstimulated, which is something she mentions throughout the book. And she actually has a acronym of DOES, D-O-E-S, that she uses to describe people who are highly sensitive. So the D is for depth of processing. So she says these highly sensitive people process things at a deeper level, which again can be very good because they'll take things and look at it in a more deep way and analyze it and can use that in a positive way. But of course, sometimes it could seem like they're moving more slowly because when they take something in, they try to process it and digest it in a deeper way. So the D is for depth of processing. The O is for overstimulation, which as I was just saying, if you notice every little thing, as she mentions, it's much more likely that you can get overwhelmed. And I should also mention, she makes this clear in a way distinction that uh, sensitive doesn't just mean in a psychological way. She means that it's more physiological and that people take in things more, they feel everything more. And so a way I also think of it is that the, high, the highs and the lows are a little bit more for someone 
who is sensitive. And that's something that she mentions as well, that it's not just that sensitive people or the highly sensitive person is going to get more affected by negative things. They might actually enjoy and savor a positive thing more as well. They might have that more intense experience both ways. So is that overall good or bad? It depends. I actually like that, experiencing things more intensely, both good and bad. I think that's part of feeling alive and being alive. And in reading this book, I think it's likely I fall into this category of the highly sensitive person. Uh, as she mentions, no two people in general are the same and no two highly sensitive people are the same. So there's parts that I didn't re resonate with that she talked about people who are highly sensitive and parts that I could definitely connect with. And so I could see myself falling into this category, which as she mentions, includes 15 to 20 percent of people. So the does in this acronym of uh, for explaining people who are highly sensitive is for overstimulation. That people who are more sensitive, it makes sense, they're taking in everything more, so it's more likely that they can get overstimulated, and because of that they might need to take a break or they might need space, whereas someone else won't want that or need that, and it's important for the person to recognize that in themselves. And the E is for emotional reactivity. So as I was just saying, they can experience things in a more uh, intense way, the good and the bad. And actually they found that a lot of people who are highly sensitive, they actually experience positive things very strongly, especially if they've had a good childhood, which is something she mentions a few times in the book, that people who are highly sensitive, we can imagine they're going to be more affected by things. So if they have a negative uh upbringing, if they have a lot of pain in their childhood, they're more likely to experience anxiety and depression. But if they have a healthy childhood where there isn't a lot of pain or intense traumas, they can actually be someone who can be emotionally healthier than even most people. Uh, and then the S in this acronym of DOES does is for sensing the subtle, which in a way goes with a lot of these other things of being more sensitive, but they they feel things more. They'll notice subtleties, a slight change they'll pick up on more than other people. Um, they can have a way of being, they process things in a more sensitive way, so they take in things more. So the highly sensitive person has these characteristics. They feel things more. They tend to be more intuitive. They pick up on other people's feelings more. They care a little bit more about what other people are feeling, which again, a lot of these things we can see can be a gift and a curse. To feel things more can be great, but then you can get overwhelmed. And her point in the book, and she mentions that at times it can come off that she's saying that highly sensitive people are almost better than non-highly sensitive people, but she doesn't want to make that point. She's trying to make it clear that we have to change the way we focus on people who are more sensitive, whether you are one yourself, people in your life, or just society in general, to recognize the good that comes from them being the way that they are, and also accepting people as they are, and recognizing that everyone is not going to be the same, but that's not even necessarily good, and we need to use the strengths of each other to actually do better overall. And looking at people who are sensitive, I've used this analogy before, especially when I work with parents who sometimes will have two kids and they feel like one of them will be more sensitive. And I wouldn't use this term highly sensitive before, but now I might in working with families and with children. But they would say, you know, my one child was okay and the other one was having this intense reaction. And they can almost blame the one having the more intense reaction for what they're experiencing. And the analogy I like to use is if two people walk into a room and if one of them is cold and the other one isn't, 
we can't blame the person who's cold for just having that type of response to the room. It's not something they're trying to do. It's not something that's in their direct control. They're just feeling cold. And, well, we can get them a jacket or we can do something to deal with it, but we don't want to blame them and say, why are you cold? What's wrong with you? Or look at your brother or look at your sister. They're not cold. Why are you the problem? That's not helpful and it doesn't make the person feel good and they feel very judged for something that's not in their control. And that's the same thing we do with people who are sensitive. And I do think, yes, we can work on ourselves and grow and do different things that can affect us. But overall, we can't affect the way things feel to us in a full way that we have complete control over it. And so if you are someone who is more sensitive, maybe for a lot of your life, you've been told that was a weakness. That's something that made you bad or difficult or an emotional burden and other negative things. But this book can help you recognize that it's not just a bad thing. It's something that can help you be more aware of other people, of what's going on. In your relationships, there's a depth that you can create that other people might not create, that people will value. And she does bring up things like being introverted, which she says is not exactly the same as highly sensitive, even though there is an overlap. But in general, people who are introverted, we tend to think of that as not a positive thing either. And you might recall the book uh, Quiet by Susan Cain that... I discussed last year, and she talked about this bias we have towards people being extroverted, towards introverted, and that's something that comes up in this book as well. It's almost as if we have created in our minds an ideal character, ideal personality that everyone has to have, and if you don't have that, something is wrong with you. And if you don't have that, you have to try to force yourself to become this ideal, and usually that ideal includes things like being an extrovert, being outspoken, being a someone who wants to be a public speaker and who talks to everyone and who jumps right into things and uh, is not afraid of things and wants to be friends with everyone and in a way almost being political in that type of way. We think that's the right way to be, to be that outgoing person. But we don't recognize that's not going to be everyone and we don't even want everyone to really be that way. Some people are more introspective. They walk into a room, they take things in a little bit before they go interact with other people, and that's okay. Sometimes these are the people that are going to be more aware of what's going on, whereas the other people might be more impulsive and jump in. And she talks about this in a way of this balance of these warriors and then the advisors, and the advisors sometimes have more of the wisdom to stand back and look at the bigger picture and see what's going on and make the decisions. And it's not that one is better than the other, but we really need both types of people, and we want to make sure we don't judge people for being a particular way or say that there's one right way to be, and everyone should be that. And so that's something I liked in the book. It was this overall theme of seeing who you are and your characteristics and recognizing the strengths that it has, and not just seeing it as a negative, not viewing your ability to be sensitive to other people or sensitive in general as a purely bad thing, because it's not. There's a lot of good that comes from it as well. And so she gets into what it's like to be in relationships. If you are someone who's HSB, highly sensitive person, or to be with someone who is um, also parenting and other aspects of life as well. And again, as she puts it, 15 to 20% of people are this way. And in the preface of the book, she mentions new research that is showing that some people, or there is some findings that it could, there could be genetic explanations and biological explanations and things in the brain that might explain people being more highly sensitive. But more research has to be done in that regard. So um, thank you to those people who recommended me read a book on this topic. I'm glad I finally did. The Highly Sensitive Person by Dr. Elaine Aaron. 
was the book I just talked about. And again, the book for this week, Skin in the Game, Hidden Asymmetries in Daily Life by Nassim Taleb. All right, we've reached our first commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Studio number 310-441-0555. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Yes, sir. Mr. Olakri, how are you, sir? I'm good, nice thank you. Thank, likewise, thanks for calling. Sir, I'm a 53-year-old male, mm-hmm. and I have a kind of uh, problem, uh, which is, I mean, I don't know how to tell you. It's like My problem is that I worry about too much regarding my problems as far as my health. Even mm-hmm. though there is nothing wrong with me, sometimes if I feel something happening to my body, I've been thinking always uh, that there's going to something be bad happening to me and everything else. Mm-hmm. And uh, that makes me worry a lot. It made me so bad that uh, I went to my doctor, and due to some problems that I had prior, you know, regarding my families and everything else, as far as, you know, some stress that I had, I'm currently taking some medication. But my question is that how can I solve my problem of not worrying about my health and uh, just looking at some other way that, you know, I don't worry too much about myself. <laughs> now, uh, have you had any major health issues in your life? No, sir. I mean, I've been, I mean, total healthy so far as been, as been, I've been since 53 years old. Mm-hmm. But even though if I go for some x-rays or sometimes once in a while I go to get a blood test done or something, if I see one number being a point one or point two up, I worry myself to death. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. my main thing is that I think too much about my health as far as, you know, if, I get, if I'm sitting and I get a pin in my feet and I think that, you know, something is burning in my body, I feel like the bad stuff that is going to be happening to me, God forbid, you know, some bad disease or something. Mm-hmm. And so what you're talking about could be what we call hypochondriasis, or also sometimes we'll say health anxiety or anxiety regarding your health. Uh, but I don't want to jump to that diagnosis yet, but there is definitely that theme there of how you're saying you're always worried about the health, that even if there really aren't symptoms or signs that are worrying or you don't have any illness, but it seems like you're preoccupied with feeling something or, or that you're dealing with something serious, even though there's no sign of that. And what happens is the person can become very hypervigilant about their body. And of course, our body, we have different feelings rather than just thinking, okay, it's just some tingling in my feet because of how I was sitting. You go to some extreme that this means I have some severe illness or something is going on. And so it could be something like that. Now, are there other areas of your life where you have a lot of anxiety? Sir, I'll be honest with you, through my life, I've been a little bit in stress, you know, regarding my business, and, you know, I had some family issues as far as, you know, my father being sick and everything else, but for a while, I was in a lot of stress and everything else, and I just had a death in my family, like, a couple, uh, like, five months ago, and uh, after that, it got a little bit worse to a kind that I was very uh, stressed, and I was very depressed. Mm-hmm. So I was in a situation that I didn't want to talk to nobody, and I wanted—I mean, I was 
sitting in a room. I didn't feel like sitting in there. After 10 minutes, I would walk out. And so I went to my family doctor, and I talked to him and everything else, and he told me that I have anxiety and I have stress. Mm -hmm. So he put me down on some kind of medication on a small dosage in the beginning, and he said that, you know, just take that for a few months, and after that, uh, we see how it works with you and everything else, and if you're feeling better, we can just come into the lower dosage, or we can discontinue. If it's not doing too good, we can go higher on the dosage. Mm -hmm. Okay, how long ago was that? Oh, like two weeks ago. I started two weeks ago. Okay, so that's pretty good. honest with you, as far as me feeling better, on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm doing like about maybe 5 or 7, 5 or 6. As far as points, much better. You know, I'm not that much depressed. Now I would like to speak to somebody. Mm-hmm. I don't get stressed out that much, you know. But I, my main thing is that this pill is going to be temporary, but I want to fix myself for once I stop taking the pill, I just want to train myself how to deal with the issues that I have as far as for my health. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, when you say train yourself, um, I hear in what you're saying that you think you have to do this alone, but it's probably something that you're going to need some help with. Or it's kind of like you need a trainer to train yourself. And in this case, that trainer would be a psychologist, uh, a therapist, because a cognitive behavioral therapy can be helpful for what you're talking about, which, again, sounds like hypochondriasis. I don't know if you've looked that up yourself, um, but it seems like you have this preoccupation and this catastrophic thinking about your health that constantly something is wrong something is going on and it's important for you to get treatment but i don't want you to think this is something you have to deal with alone and it seems like at some level that's what you're thinking you have to do is figure out a way to train yourself by yourself correct okay are you open to seeing a therapist about this Actually, um, uh, you know, that's what my second question was. I was going to ask you that would be helpful for me while I'm taking the medication. I can go and see a uh, therapist too, right? That would absolutely. be much helpful for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially, you know, the medication, you want it to be short-term. And I don't know if you're on a, do you know if it's an anti-anxiety medication or an antidepressant? It is- it is antidepressant and good. it is uh, Cymbalta. I'm on okay. Cymbalta. And the reason why I said good, because an antidepressant is better for long-term use. Uh, we, you know, Anti-anxiety medication is usually more for short-term. And also, um, I know you're already feeling better, which is good, but you should expect that it takes some time for an antidepressant to make you feel better. So if you're already having some positive effects, that's good. But you might even feel more effects over time. So... Be ready for that and take it as long as as a doctor recommends. And even with that, I always recommend for people to see a psychiatrist, but we know that something like two-thirds of psychiatric medication is prescribed by non-psychiatrists, by usually a general practitioner. So I, I would definitely recommend you see a psychiatrist because, of course, that's their expertise in working with that and definitely going to therapy, especially because you said you don't want to use the medication long-term, which I hope you'll give it a shot at least several months to take the medication because it can take some time to kick in. But therapy is definitely a way to get more longer lasting results to get more at the root of what's going on because clearly something has happened in the way you think. Uh, Because my next question was going to be how long have you had this preoccupation with your health? Has it always been there or just when the stress started? Probably what, 15, 16. Oh, okay. Actually, actually, it ran in my family. My mother yeah. was, she passed away like maybe 12 years ago. She had the same thing like me, you know. 
these kind of issues like me as far as Sorry, we lost you. Disconnected there. Are you still there? Okay, well, we lost him. Um, you know, he was getting into the genetics part of things, and all psychiatric illnesses, just like almost any illness or thing that we have as a trait, uh, can be or has a genetic component. And we know that anxiety does in hypochondriasis, which it, I mentioned he might be dealing with, is when people have this worry about their body and health. And actually, sometimes what you'll see is someone will go to multiple doctors because even if they go get test results and they say, you know, the tests are all negative, there seems to be nothing wrong with you, they're still convinced that something is wrong. And so they'll keep seeking out different doctors and they'll sometimes be known to doctor hop and go to many different people, almost like they're looking for something. And we can try to understand this in a deeper level. Is it something they see within themselves that they think is defective or ill or bad and they're projecting it onto their physical health? Exactly what's going on is not always going to be clear, but in the treatment, usually medication can help, but also therapy, including cognitive behavioral therapy, can help the person get a better hold uh, of what's going on and to deal with that. And so what you'll see is they'll go to many doctors thinking that something is physically wrong, but more it's a psychological issue that they're dealing with. But fortunately, there is treatment for that. So if you yourself are dealing with that, that you keep feeling like something is wrong with you physically, but you don't get any diagnosis or no tests are showing that something is wrong, you might want to consider if you're dealing with hypochondriasis and anxiety disorder that deals with your health and see if you can get some psychological and psychiatric help in that regard. And as I mentioned with him, what unfortunately starts to happen is that if we think something is wrong with us, we are likely to find it because your body right now, as I'm sitting here, I can probably feel a pain somewhere in my body or an ache somewhere in my body. And that might seem to me, if I take that uh, mentally, I can take that to a place where it's some kind of catastrophe. Because as we know, even with our emotions, it's what we think about them that really the label could be a big deal. So if you have a pain in your foot, you might say, I have a pain in my foot. But if you think, I have a pain in my foot, what if that means I have some nerve damage? What if it means I have this, I have that? You can go uh, to a really bad place. And what makes this even worse is that people go online and they Google their symptoms. And there's so many jokes and memes about this. But you Google one symptom that seems like it's not a big deal, but by the end you think you have some um, terminal disease, no matter what you look up. And so people are doing that. And unfortunately, it feeds into this anxiety where they look and they find the worst case scenarios and they assume that's what's happening to them. I think the caller is back on. And I do want to get to finish with him. Um, hello? Yes, sir. Yes, we lo- that's okay. Yeah, we lost you there for a minute or two. Yeah, I, I think it was my fault, you know. So as I was saying, you know, the situation is like that, that my mom had the same problem before she passed away, uh-huh. and I think that, you know, since I was 15 or 16, I've been having the same issue up till now. So, as I said, that something happens, I just go too much deep and deep and deep, and I Google it up, yeah. and I look for the, yeah, the problems and everything else, and even though there is no problem, and my doctor, family doctor, assures me, I, have, I keep on asking him the same and same question. And yeah. I worry everybody else around me. Right, and, and when you actually were not on, one of the things I mentioned is how people who tend to deal with the anxiety you're dealing with, unfortunately, they go online 
and they just get bad answers and confirm that something is really wrong with them. And so it feeds into this anxiety and you'll go to the doctor and the doctor says nothing is wrong, but you still, it's almost like you're convinced something is wrong and you're just waiting for them to find it uh, when really nothing might be wrong there. And I didn't know you were dealing with it since the teenage years. That's usually when it shows up is a lot earlier. But then when we go through a stressful period, these symptoms can get worse, just like any uh, psychological illness you're dealing with. The stress that you're dealing with can exacerbate what's happening. So that's maybe what you felt recently. Um, and, and it could be very stressful for you more than anyone, but I'm sure for the people around you as well. Has it interfered with you being in relationships, getting married, living your life in that way? My okay. wife and my children has been very helpful, okay, especially great. my wife. Mm -hmm. She's been always very helpful and everything else, and she tries to calm me down all the time. And yeah. I'm the only, I've been calling her like 20 times a day, asking her, you know, if something is going on or this and that, but she's been more than very, very kind to me. And she all, she all, I mean, she's been my pillar, you know, the strength, you know, mm -hmm. behind me, which is very good. As far as my family support, I have, a, you know, pretty good kids and my wife and everything else. But I think that, you know, what happened after all this kind of stuff and my father passing away, all this pressure came on myself. And I think it just busted me, I mean, yeah. to these kind of problems. And I went to the depression mode and anxiety mode. And, you know, I felt a little bit of, you know, uh, panic attacks and everything mm. else. I didn't want to stay in the room. I didn't want to talk to nobody. I used to go to the room and, I mean, people used to talk to me. I didn't want to answer them back. And he, all these kind of questions is was before I started the medication. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So my doctor started with me uh, with the 20 milligrams. He told me to take it for a week and see how it adjusts my body. And after a week, he told me to go to 40 milligrams, which I did. Okay, good. And as I said, as I said, on a scale of one to ten, it's like about five or six, which is good. Now I'm thinking, you know, that's what my question was. And he told me I'm going to be talking to another psychiatric. Uh, psych I mean, to the you said to speak to psychologist or therapist. I think you should do, ther well, I was saying both because I'm glad the medication, you're finding it helpful, but I would always recommend when you're taking a psychiatric medication to meet with a psychiatrist. So I would recommend seeing a psychiatrist for the medication, okay. but then also, especially because you don't want the medication long-term, which antidepressants tend not to have such negative effects, but nonetheless, I can understand what you're saying. It'd be better for you to also see a therapist to get more of a long-term benefit from that. Because what you're dealing with with hypochondriasis, sometimes I've even heard people call it health OCD. There's these, It's obsessional and it's hard to break that. And it's nice that your wife tries to calm you down, but the reassurance only lasts a few seconds and then it's going to come back again. And if anything, the reassurances might not even help you overall. So really to get at it, you have to address the issue head on and deal with what's there and slowly make some big changes within yourself, and then the worries probably won't go away completely, but might become more under your control. And we don't want that anytime you go through a stressful period, it comes back again in this intense way. So I would highly recommend seeing a therapist and also for your medication, seeing a psychiatrist. Uh, can I ask you one more question, sure. if I may, please? Uh, how long before these antidepressants start to kick in as a full thing? Like, I mean, it's, as I said, it's been one week that I yeah. took the 20 milligrams, and it's been four weeks, I mean, one week that I took the 40 milligrams. Well, I'm not a psychiatrist so, to say exactly what that is, but usually they say it'll take a few weeks. Sometimes you'll hear four weeks, but sometimes people have results sooner than that. So it's not exactly clear. But again, this is where a psychiatrist can 
be much more helpful to you of guiding you through this process and seeing what you go through. So likely you can see even more benefits from the medication because it tends to take some time. Sometimes just by starting to take the medita medication, we can feel a type of a placebo effect also that I'm taking something that's going to help me. But the effects can kick in in a few weeks, even after you start. So keep at it in the way the doctors prescribed it. I would again recommend seeing a psychiatrist who's even more um, you know, expert in this area to help you because they'll tell you all of these things, be able to work through it and see what's the right medication and the dosage for you. And also the therapy with the medication is going to be your best bet at getting the, the benefits you're looking for. All right, sir. Okay. Thank you very much. My for pleasure. That you gave me. Oh, I it's really my pleasure. It. My pleasure. Nice and talking to you. Thank you very much again. Thank Great. you, sir. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Going into commercial break, studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. Back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Yes, hi. Hi, doctor. Uh, sorry for my English, not good because, you know, I don't have education. That's right. You're doing okay? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. Okay. I go straight in the place. Uh, my son is uh, 43 years old mm -hmm. and half. He's bothering me anytime if I go traveling, when I come, all my stuff is in the, um, you know, some garbage or it's gone, you know, it's gone except whatever he wants to escape for me. And that one was happened 10 years ago. And I'm not sure I understood. When you travel, he does what? He throw away my stuff. Oh, do you live with him? Not anymore now because he has, um, you know, education. He uh, have to go for a study another city. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, which is probably better that you don't live together that he's 43. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. I pay for his apartment. I help him. Still, I do. Even, you know, he, he was... Um, getting some loan from, you know, a student loan, but still I pay to help to have a beautiful house, whatever. But I, I, last week was uh, some quarter, they give him some ceremony. Mm -hmm. I and my kids, everybody around him, when I come home, he said, oh, your home is mad. He tried to fight with me, and I didn't say anything. I said, please, I have a guest, you know. Please, please. Then he, he don't, you know, he don't uh, even give me, he say, I don't give you damn. And he has started bullying me. Then on Monday or Tuesday, he called me and he said, I want to come back and check my, I say, you know what? I called my, my, my attorney and uh, if you bother me, police, you know, they, they take everything away from you. You, you cannot come near me. And he said, what about my son? He, he come here, wash the clothes and take it, you know. I said, I can put it in your car and pick it up or I mail it to you. It's one hour different, not too bad. Bay Area, he lives mm -hmm. in Bay Area. Okay. Yeah, and then my daughter from LA, everybody come to, you know, and make make everybody. And he asked my other daughter, my sister, why are you supporting your mom? Why are you supporting your mom? I said, I'm sorry, I'm supporting you until now. 
what do you mean? He came out money as wise, but I, something like that. You don't have education to this country. You, he looked down on me because he's getting a little bit education, and now he's uh, uh, put me down, and he give me bad name. He, you know, <laughs> you are not mother. If I married, never show my my wife to you. I say, you know, enough is enough. Please. Yeah. That's what I told him. And then he wrote to my daughter, to other one, oh, she's hoarding, she wants too much, she's not good mother. So, yeah, he's doing a lot of uh, bad things, and I think you've made the decision to cut your relationship with him. I'm sorry, say it again? Sure, it seems like you've decided to cut your relationship with him. Make to, yeah. yeah, okay. Yes. Yeah, and, because he always uh, stay with me. I grow, I raised him without father. Father, uh, they killed father in the, you know, revolution. Hmm. Uh, when Shah, so I decided to come here now. All of them have education except him. He started late, but I am glad he did it. Then I try to help. Now he's going to be doctor. Mm-hmm. But what kind of doctor bother mama? I told yeah, I know. But, you know, you can't, that's, unfortunately, just because someone is a doctor doesn't mean that in their relationships they're being good to everyone around them. So, doc, and people say this a lot, say, oh, someone is educated, so they must be a very good husband or wife. No, they're not related at all. And so he can be a doctor, but if he treats you bad, it doesn't make a difference that he's a doctor. You can make a choice that you don't want to have a relationship with him if you feel, and it seems like that might be the choice, and it's more than likely he doesn't feel very good about himself, and so he takes that out on you by saying you're now not good enough or you're bad. It's about the part he feels bad about himself, but you can't create a relationship with someone who's going to be mean to you, and you don't need to, and so you have to do what's best for yourself. You've done a lot for him. He's 43 now, and He should be able to take care of himself. You don't owe him a responsibility to take care of him as he is a kid because he's not a kid anymore. And if he's going to be mean to you, you have all the right to say, I don't want to have any relationship with you if you're going to treat me in this way. And sometimes people can feel about their parents, but even more because he's your son, that somehow you have to be with him no matter what or put up with his bad behavior. But if someone is going to disrespect us, there's no reason. That's not a relationship. That's just someone being mean and treating us bad. So you don't have to keep a relationship with him. I'm sure it makes you sad to not have him in your life or when he acts that way. And I can understand that. But we can't make someone act in a different way. You can't control that. You can just control how much you interact with him, which it seems like you're trying to limit that now, which I think makes sense. Yes, yes, it's too much. Yeah. You know, and now he cannot um, himself because I stood for myself, mm-hmm. you know. And now he dragged the sister, he dragged this, and he 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 caught my uh, internet, he caught my telephone. Ah, uh, you know, I paid for it, but he caught a lot of things to bother me, to show me he's a bully. He's a, you know. I said, when you pay me for my house. Then you can do anything. But when I am working and I uh, try to be good for you, I spend 400 for that night, I spend money for lunch or dinner for your um, ceremony, 
You have to replenish it. Not yeah, but but you know what? You I get what you're saying. It would be nice for him to appreciate it, and it, most people would expect that. But I think you have to change your expectations from him and have no expectation from him. It's not nice. It's not fair what he's doing. But we have to accept that that's how he's going to be. So I would say what you're trying to do of becoming less close to him probably makes sense. But to say, I'm going to do this and you should do this, you can't do that. You can't tell him, because I'm doing this now, you have to treat me a certain way. He can treat you how he wants, and then you can decide whether or not you want to be in a relationship with him. You've already told him, obviously, you don't like what he's doing, but it doesn't seem like he's going to change that. And so you don't have to do nice things for him anymore. You don't have to pay for this for him or have an event for him or celebrate this if he's going to treat you that way. And that way you won't have an expectation from him either. Yeah, the reason I am scared because he said, uh, not not now, but five years ago, he said, I'll go kill myself. Yeah, I mean, the way you're describing him, he's very extreme. He would say, I'd kill myself if you don't do something, or I'll just kill myself because I'm so depressed. Okay. And then, no, no, I'm asking you, was he saying, I'm going to kill myself unless you do what I want? Or he was saying, I'm going to kill myself, I am so depressed? No, he said much on him because of a study mm-hmm. and uh, so he he don't have no pressure he put this pressure on me and uh, then i say you have to focus on your studies stay the way you are you know don't come near me please mm-hmm. do not come near me and but that night was the party for him my daughter said it's okay but before he always trading me he never killed himself or he never did anything but he scared me. He go, you know, sure. get the knife and say, oh, I kill myself. I say, you know, do whatever you want to do. i really tired. I spend all my youngest things for you. And now I am elderly. You cannot abuse me as an elderly person. And if you do, I'm going to call the police. The reason I'm not calling the police, because uh, 10 years ago, something happened to my family. And my daughter stood for me. Two of them, so they come and pick him to the, you know, they they want to take him to court, uh, to jail. I go higher. It costs a lot of money, mm-hmm. but uh, I help him. But he has this record. If one more time come, he's gonna lose his license or future license. Mm-hmm. So I don't want it. Um, I do not want it. It destroyed him, and he knows that. He said, "You, I know. I believe. I love you. You know. You love me. You're not going to d- damage me. You're not going to do anything like that. You're just treating me." I say, "You know, I stay away. I, I'm going to talk my attorney right for you. Letters. Do not come near your mom house anymore." Oh, well, I think that's good. You have to just. You have to just separate yourself from him. I don't. I'm not sure all the details of what's going on, but from what you're saying. There is no relationship other than him treating you bad, and you might have to accept as hard as it is that you can't have a good relationship with him, but you absolutely have the right to take care of yourself, protect yourself, and not let someone treat you bad. And so that's what I would say you you can only do now. You can't expect anything from him, but you can protect yourself from him, which it seems like you're doing. And so I would just minimize your relationship with him as much as you can because he can say I love you you love me but love is not just a word love is thrown shown through our actions and he's not showing you love at all 
And that's not some a relationship you need to have. So again, I'm sure it's hard to have your son treat you this way and you don't want him to and you wish it was different, but we can't make someone act in a certain way. We can only control our side and also how much we let ourselves be around that person. So it best for you is probably what you're doing of just saying, let's stay away from each other because he's not willing to have a, a good relationship with you. You're right. And he asking me, you know, do not cook or anything for your for my another daughter. He said, all your attention have to be to me, not them. And that's what another thing she's... But, uh, but you said now he lives far, uh, like, away from you, right? Yes. Okay. So he expects you to do what, cook for him and send it for him? Yeah, he say, you know, when he comes Friday or weekend... And I want all family together. But he say, you know, you are stupid. Me, you know, I am bad and stupid because I am cooking. Take for my other daughter. I mean, okay. And so one thing is you have to realize what, you have to not listen to what he's saying because I think you know what he's saying is crazy. It doesn't make any sense. And he wants, he wants all of your attention and he wants to treat you bad. That doesn't make sense. But I don't know why you're still seeing him, though, when he comes. What can I do? I changed my luck and he comes from France or I don't okay. want to pass. Yeah, he well, you might have to, I mean, you can let him know. I, I think you, you you can go to a legal route if he's being, if he's literally breaking into your house. That's not okay. Yeah, but it's still he, you know, he come and say, I am sorry, but not me, too much pressure. No, but you have to stop forget that. See, that's the part where you have to realize you can't keep forgiving him. I do. Yeah, I know. And I even I wrote down the word as you were talking, but you have a codependent relationship with him. Completely? Yeah. Okay. Okay. No, do, do you know what? Have you heard that term before, codependent? Huh? Have you heard the term codependent before? Yeah, I, I heard in radio because I yeah. think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's definitely the relationship you have with him. And one of the things that happens in these relationships is. One person keeps doing things that hurts the other person, but the other person keeps saying it's okay and forgives them, and they think it's so good that I keep forgiving him. But it's not good that you're forgiving him. You're hurting him in a way too, but especially you're hurting yourself. And you're the one that's responsible. He's always going to come and apologize and say, that wasn't me, or I did this, or I did that. But from what you're saying, he keeps doing the same thing. And so you have this relationship where you can't control him, but I want you to become aware of what you're doing or in some ways allowing him to do that you keep letting him come back in. So he's saying, look, I'm going to treat you this way. I know he won't tell you that, but he's showing you that. And you have to say, okay, someone who wants to keep disrespecting me and making me feel bad, I have to make the decision where I'm not going to let him hurt me again. He's not going to stop himself from hurting you. You have to make that decision. And yes, he's going to come back. He's going to find every way to try to come back. But you have to not let him in anymore, physically and emotionally, because he's just coming to hurt you. And so probably somewhere within you, there's this hope that he's going to change, but you might have to give that up in that he's not making any changes. And even it might help him realize he has a problem if he actually gets some consequences. By letting him do whatever he wants, you're actually not helping him. By saying that, okay, I don't want him to lose his license, so he should do whatever he wants, that's 
That's not even going to help him in the long term because he's learning he can do whatever he wants. And so probably from the beginning, you were giving him too much and letting him treat you bad, thinking that because I'm a mom, it's a good thing to do. But really, you were hurting him because he didn't learn to grow, to recognize, look, you can't just treat people however you want, or there's actually going to be consequences to your actions. And so I have to be aware of that. But now it's too late to change the past. You can only change now. And so I hope you will stand up for yourself and realize that by forgiving him and letting him back, that's where it's your responsibility, not his. He's not going to stop coming back. You have to stop him by showing him he can't. Yeah, you, that's very good. Sweet. You talk sweet <laughs> from my bottom part. Hmm. Can I ask you one more question? Sure, quickly, yes. Thank you, thank you, doctor. I, I want to change my house or I want to go move to somewhere nobody finds me. Is that right? Or it's, it can be. You know, I was just talking to someone in a similar way that sometimes because we can't make the physical boundaries with someone and create the physical space, we try to make the actual distance greater. So we want to psychologically make a space between us and say, look, you can't do this to me anymore or I don't want to have a relationship with you. But because we feel like we can't do it or it's too hard, we want to just remove ourselves and say, you know what, if I lived in another country, another city, another state, at least I would be away. And I can understand that you feel that way. And especially with him, you're saying he might find you. It's a little bit difficult. But I would see if there's any way you can do that where you, if you want to move, move. But I would never want you to move to escape from him because yeah. that would not be fair to you. Now, if it's the only choice... It's possible, but I would see first you can do without that, that you probably want to live where you're living unless you're not happy there. But if you like where you are, you shouldn't have to move because of him. You should see if you can create that boundary with him. And it's the way you're describing him, he doesn't like boundaries. He's not going to respect the boundaries. So you have to make them very firm. Um, but I would hope you don't move just to get away from him unless it's something you want to do because that's not fair to you. And to see if you can create the boundary with him without moving. Can I tell him he's not allowed anymore and not accept his apologies anymore and just accept that we're not going to be in a relationship rather than trying to move to a different state or country or city just to get away from him? Okay, yeah, because of him I want to move. Because no, I, know. I have a nice job, everything's fine here. Just he bothers me. Two times I change my house, he finds me and again and again and again. I don't know what can I do. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think it's not fair, um, you know, to you. But anyway, uh, you know, I hope you'll make that boundary because he's not going to make it for you, like I said, and realize you're the one that lets him back in. So see what you can do before you decide to move because it's not fair for you to lose your life because of him. And I hope you can find a way to make that boundary yourself and recognize that if you let him back, that part is your responsibility. His behavior is on him. But you letting him back, that's on you. Yes, yes, doctor. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Nice talking to you. Take care. Uh-huh. All right, bye-bye. All right, going to our next commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. back. Let's go to our next caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello, Dr. Holakri. Hi, thanks so for calling. I don't know why I try 
second attempt to speak with your father also through the, this problem, which I want to tell you right now. But I never succeed, succeeded. I mean, it was ringing, but nobody picked the phone up. I don't know what was wrong. But anyway, I have to tell you now because obviously it's much easier to reach you. <laughs> um, I am, um, I don't know, should we go through like your father that I introduced myself? Sure, um, let me know what's going on, what the situation is, what's your reason for calling, and we can go from there. Sorry, the sound. We're having some issue. If you could speak a little bit l l more loudly, we're having a hard time hearing you. Okay. Is it better now? It's a little better. Yeah, the more loud we, yeah, because we're having a hard time picking up uh, your your voice. Um, yeah, like I said, um, from one hand, this struggle with myself, um, and from the other hand, it's uh, um, this um, uh, kind of doubt if I'm doing okay or if I'm a good mom. Okay, how old are you? I am 49. 49, okay. How old are your kids? I have only one son. He just turned into 24. 24, okay. I'm only 19. Okay. And are you married? No. Okay. How long have you... Were you, were you married? Um, I've been married to his father for seven years. You were married for seven years, okay. How long ago... So you guys got divorced... At least, what, 17, 18 years ago, something? Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to calculate. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, regarding uh, the solar year or two, uh, our year, I don't know exactly, something like that, yes. Okay. Um, uh, so, let me know when you say the abuse of your, I'm trying to understand what the situation is, or what your question is. Father, um, we we planned that um, I don't get pregnant because I was um, going to uh, university and I was trying to get my BA in English, and I wanted to continue. Mm -hmm. But um, somehow in between, um, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that that open, but uh, the the condom that we were using was okay. so it's not a planned pregnancy. Yeah. Okay. mom and um, 
I told her the story, and um, she, 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 she was she's the kind of mom that you know, old-minded person. No, this is the first child, and um, I, I need to see my grandchild and stuff. And she also totally ignored that. And the same with my dad who started crying and asked me, you mean you, you, you I don't, I should not see my great grandchild and, okay, um, I wanted to do the abortion, definitely. I, I, we had a swimming pool. I, I even remember that I was jumping into the, that swimming, swimming pool all the time. I didn't want that kid at all because his father was jobless. I wanted to continue studying. I was totally helpless, you know. I even went and swam in the sea. And uh, my mom had such a control on me. She wanted to see her grandchild, you know. Mm -hmm. And I had a very bad, bad pregnancy. Your mom abused you when you were. Her own wishes for her. I, mm. I was nothing for her, you know. Hmm. There, there's. Even though the pain is from a long time ago, it's so raw that it's hard for you to talk about it. Because, because I'm dealing with it. I have a 24-year-old son. Yeah. But, you know, whenever he does anything wrong, it totally brings up everything. Yeah, and that's... I'm trying to, 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 to forgive her. I cannot do that. Well, yes, and because it's not fair to take it out on him, because it was definitely not his fault. Exactly. Yeah. That, that's, that, that's what I said. That's my another struggle from the other side, that am I, am I a good mom? Am I doing enough? Because I totally did opposite what my mom did to me. Well, there... But you do have a duty to him. You absolutely have a 100% responsibility to your son because he, he is less, he's much more innocent than anyone in all of this. As much as I know you feel the victim, he's, he's had it harder than you. Exactly. Yeah. And so because, you know, with how much pain you're carrying with you, of course, this is going to affect everything you do. But if you don't get the help you need, you're not going to be able to take care of him or you. So are you getting help for how sad you're feeling? I tried a lot. And, uh, uh, I got an appointment for May 14th, coming May 14th at 11 o'clock. You don't? Well, I sorry, I couldn't hear what you said. I stopped talking with my mom because... Okay, that might not be a bad crying. idea, no. but I'm glad you're getting an appointment um, to get 
help? Are you, are you seeing a psychologist or a psychiatrist? Yes. Which one? Okay. Because you're probably going to need to see both because you right now you're the way you're, you're describing I mean that it's you can't even talk about it there's so much pain there that you're you're going to need to get a lot of help. It's the only way out of this is to to get over that because the way you're talking about it the, it sounds as if it happened yesterday. And I know you're still dealing with it because you have to of course be with your son and take care of him. Um but if this is not addressed it's just going to get worse. No, I know. I'm not. We're, I'm not here to judge you as a mom, as good or bad, or say. And I don't think you've to say you've never heard him. Of course, you've heard him. That's part of being a, a parent. Is sometimes you do things your kid doesn't like or that hurts them. So we don't want to go to extremes of either you are this the worst mom or you're a perfect mom. Of course, you've hurt your son. That's just part of it. And I apologize from him. Okay, that's okay. Because but that's but apolo mean, apology is not enough. Apology is not enough because if you don't work on what's going on here you're going to take it out on him and you probably already have so it, apologies is not is not going to be enough the work is going to be the the part where it's going to have to be lots of therapy and maybe even medication but you have to be ready to go to therapy for a long time you're dealing with too much pain and just staying in that pain is not going to help you or him exactly i know that i need myself yeah but i mean i'm trying and that's Okay, and I'm glad you're making that appointment, but you know, I'm sure you've been in this pain for a long time, and maybe asking for help is not easy for you. I'm not sure what got in the way, but something definitely got in the way of you getting help because this happened, you know, 24 years ago. And I'm glad you are now getting the help um, because it's definitely not something you're going to be able to deal with alone. And I think you still feel stuck in what's happened very much. And your son, you know, he's 24 now. Maybe he's even creating his own life, and he should be. But still, even just for yourself, you, you're going to need to go get this help. Yeah, he's also on his way to go and get help, get stationed. And uh, we're both on you. But I thought that maybe I can, I can get help and I get any clue that how can I just uh, struggle this? I mean, how can I get this hate out? I mean... Well, I mean, the only way I think the way you sound is that you're far from forgiving her. It's going to be a process where if you can recognize that you don't like what she did, you don't agree with what she did, but that you can try to understand where she was coming from or what she was doing. Um, but what the way I hear is that you're holding on to the hate very strongly and it's, you don't want to let it go yet.
I mean, the the pain that you have is not going to go away unless you get the help you deserve, and you're not going to get it from your mom. She's not going to heal it for you. So we can't wait for her to say something you're going to want to hear or to say I'm sorry or whatever it might be that would make you feel better because it doesn't seem like she's capable of that. And that's why I'm saying you're going to have to work on it on your own, unfortunately. Yeah, well, if she calls you, you don't have to answer. Exactly. She cannot force me to answer. She cannot force this. No. 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 Yeah. I won't, I won't let her do that. Yes. But I but think... how about my dad? My poor dad. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know enough about what's going on. But either way, you might have to be okay with not being with them for a while. But if you are not going to get I some... I'm not there. I'm okay. I'm Okay. For 18 years now. Yeah, it's, it, it's you know, again, like if you don't um, get the, I, but when I'm hearing you talk, the pain is just so raw that it's hard to even talk too much about what's going on. You're very much stuck in the pain. And I get it that it's a lot and that because of your son, you haven't been able to, it's hard for you to move on. But I'm just hearing, when I'm talking to you, it's just pure pain and you're stuck in it. And at some level, it seems like you're wanting to stay there. And you're going to have to come out of that place. I want to, but whatever happened to me didn't let me to. No, but you know, I got my BA there. Then I, mm-hmm. When I came here with my son, he was seven years old. I tried to continue. I got my IOM, my master. Then I changed it to biomedical engineer and then i worked also for a company for five years uh then i uh, well i'm not getting i don't want us to get into the details of all of that because right now i'm sure you've done a lot but i still like i said the feeling of you being very stuck is what i feel when i'm talking to you what i wanted to to, 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 i mean to come to a conclusion of that was no matter what i studied no matter how hard i tried I got a genetic disease that I lost my vision. Mm. And since last October that I got jobless and I'm home, mm. it's getting worse. I sure. Mean, well, being like what you said, yeah. I, I carried all those these 24 years. Why now? Why they're, they're just begging me right now, which I'm in the worst situation. <laughs> I, I feel I have a lot of potentials in me. I speak four languages. And, but I cannot do anything, and that, that in addition to that. Uh, you, you, know, you mean you can't do anything because of the illness? Yes, because it's, okay. it's, it's uncurable. Okay, I, I don't know the exactly what you can do, but I think, yeah, being jobless is only going to make you feel worse because you don't get to feel productive. I don't know what you can do, but if you can find some job you can do, with your skills and your knowledge and whatever you have, you need to find something. Because, yes, being jobless and then dealing with what you're dealing with, you're only going to get worse. And so, again, I'm very happy you're going to see someone in May. You have to take your treatment very seriously, just like you have the medical conditions where I'm sure you see doctors. You have to see psychologists regularly. You, you need that. 
It's the only way. I mean, because what I'm talking with you right now, there's so much pain. You're probably going to have to go for a while and just be able to cry and let out the feelings before you can start working on it. So I can't recommend that to you highly enough. It's like a, almost like an emergency situation that you have to see someone. Okay. Okay. But you got to keep keep going and keep trying and and recognize that you're going to have more control over your life than you think you do. I think in hearing you talk it seems like it's all out of your control and it could feel that way. But I I think once you can get a little bit more on your feet you'll see you have much more control or at first you have to even accept that you can have more control over what happens. Your mom can tell you what she thinks, but you don't have to accept that as a truth. Your mom can try to do something, but you you can make a choice of how to respond to it. And so the pain is clearly there. And I know it's not something that's going to go away quickly, but I hope you'll work on it and recognize that soon you can have a life where you have more say in what happens to you, that it doesn't just happen to you and you have more responsibility for it. And... I really can't stress to you enough that therapy is not something that you're going to go a few times. It's going to be a long process for you. So be ready for that, okay? Okay. All right. All right. I, I wish you all the best with that. And again, get help. You deserve it. You're going to someday hopefully get out of the place where you are right now and come to a place where you can take more control over things. And that's that's when you're going to get to live live that life that you want. But it's not until you take that control over it, okay? Yeah, you know, when they tell you that you're... You should just sit at home and do nothing. Who says that? that? Tells you. They, they expect nothing anymore. Oh from well, don't don't worry about people. Not do anything. Yeah, so I feel like I'm so useless. That, like yeah, I'm... you're definitely not useless. And don't again. I I know it's easier said than done, but don't accept what people are saying or these things you hear or whatever it is. And maybe some of it's coming from within yourself. You have to show that that's not going to be the case. Okay, so they can believe or think what they're going to say, but it's up to you whether or not you make that true. And I want to, I do have people on hold. I wish it was up to me when I cannot really see. Well, I don't know. I mean, yes, I don't know what jobs are available to you, but there nothing. are people. They said I can do nothing. They said mm. just sit home and apply for your retirement. Well, that's what that's they it. said. They might think that's what you want. Some people want to do nothing, but or they think that's what they'll want, but they don't. But there's people even who are fully blind who have jobs. So... I, I'm not saying it's easy and I don't know what you could do, but I don't want you to tell yourself there's nothing you can do. That's why I'm saying I don't want you to give up on things. And at some level, as much as you don't want to, I think giving up is a little bit more comfortable than not giving up. And I don't want you to do that. Yeah, I wish I had that power too. But every day I encounter new things, you know, that just brings me down again, breaks me down again. I don't know. Well, I that I'm that's the feeling I get is that that's what I mean. I think because of where you're at, you feel like you can't do anything, and that's why I'm thinking with some help, you'll be able to see that there is more you can do. I'm not saying it's easy, but I just don't want you to give up. Okay. All right. Good luck. If you can see a doctor even sooner, do that. But I'm glad you made the appointment at least, and look forward to that, and that hopefully will be a step in the right direction. But good luck to you. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay. Bye bye. Listening to In Session with Dr. Fatty Delok. We will be right back.
welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Hello, doctor. Yes, hi. Thanks for calling. Well, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, so I've uh, recently got divorced, um, and um, very much uh, I have always been, um, I guess, uh, to myself, not so many friends. Uh, except my immediate family. Can I stop and, you? I'll stop you there sure. for a second. Your your voice is coming a little muffled. I don't know if you're on speaker. No. Is this better? A little bit. Yes, that's better. Thank you. Okay. Uh, so the issue that I have right now is uh, that I am pretty much um, feel alone, uh, trying to fill my time uh, with activities. And I actually don't have that many friends. Mm. And uh, the question is that uh, how soon um, should I be thinking about maybe starting a relationship? Well, we can get into a timeline, but more important than that is I wouldn't want you to get into a relationship because you're feeling lonely. And even if you're in a relationship, we want to have a healthy social life outside of the relationship so we're not completely dependent on our partner to meet our emotional and social needs because that's not going to be healthy either. So right now you're feeling this want to be with someone, but it's not because of a want. It's really more of a need because you're feeling alone. So we need to look at that first. Why do you think it is that when you say you don't have a lot of friends, have you always been that way? Is it something recent? Is it hard for you to make friends? What What do you see as the issue there? Uh, the issue that I see is, uh, like, I always thought of myself as a family person. Uh -huh. So being uh, with, with a partner, and uh, whereas my ex-wife uh, was pretty much involved uh, with her friends uh, a lot, mm -hmm. more, I think, than I, I would. Yes, it's normal. Um, what I thought it's kind of called codependent, maybe uh, getting into trying to resolve their problems and issues. She would try to do that? Yes. Okay. So when you were with her, did you feel, it seems like you're saying she wasn't that connected to you. Well, that was one of the biggest main issues. Okay. Uh, that resulted in our divorce. Right. Uh, but do you feel like you're someone who wants to be very connected? Did you want to be very connected to her? Yes. Okay. Because it seems and like you're saying you're not that connected to people in general. That's pretty much, yeah. I don't have that many friends. I would count with one, one hand okay. the number of friends that I have. Yeah. Um, that I would feel close. I mean, I have I mean, friends, um, I have colleagues at work and stuff that I do stuff with sometimes, but not somebody that I would, you know, consider close friends. Okay. But it, it seems at some level you're the one who's creating this lack of friendships, that you're not either choosing to get as close, you're not initiating, spending time with them. Something seems to be going on. And the reason why I even asked about your wife is, it might have been easy to blame her that you guys were not very close, but it might be you also who doesn't want to be that close. Well, I, I believe part of the issue is the trust mm -hmm. um, that uh, I 
I have a hard time of trusting people yeah, okay. because I may end up getting hurt. Well, of course, we always can get hurt by someone. The closer we get, the more they can hurt us. But I'm glad you're able to identify that, that there, there seems to be something there from your end that getting close is not comfortable for you or doesn't feel safe. And that's why I brought it up because I've seen this happen in a lot of relationships before where one person keeps complaining that the other partner won't get close to them. But then when we look at it a little bit deeper, we see that that same partner actually has their own issue with maybe trust or intimacy and getting close. And so it was actually safe for them to pick a partner that they knew would never let them get that close because in that way, they wouldn't have to risk getting that close and they would have someone to blame for it. But it does seem likely in your situation that although your wife was not allowing you to get that close, maybe something about that even felt comfortable for you, even if you felt unhappy in the relationship. So there was something about that that almost worked for you, but not enough for you to stay in it. And so we have to look at this issue. So when you say you have an issue of trust, where do you see it coming from? Uh, I think mainly it comes from uh, I moved uh, from Iran at a relatively young age. Uh, I was a teenager. And um, pretty much my parents had stayed in Iran. So I think maybe that comes from it because there were some really hard times uh, mm-hmm. at that time, uh, during the early 80s especially. And um, so basically growing up with uh, not much older uh, people than myself, um, maybe some of it I think comes from that. And that there was a lot of uh, hurt, I guess. Um, and a lot of, um, I guess, uh, stuff that happened. But did anyone hurt you? In a, do you remember your trust getting betrayed in a significant way? Something that made you feel like you couldn't trust people? Yes. Um, I think uh, most of it has to do with financial um, that I got hurt uh, at an early age. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, from family, well, close families, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, so we're actually we kind of had started this segment late, and I want to give us a chance to talk a bit more. So let's let's uh, take a break here with the commercials, and we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit more about what's going on, and then also what you can maybe do to to get yourself a little bit out of this. And it's going to take getting out of your comfort zone. So just hang online. Let's talk after the break, okay? Thank you. All right. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delacqui. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go back to the caller we were with before the break. Caller, are you still there? Yes, sir. Okay. So we were trying to, you said you feel like you have a trust issue. And, you know, in human relationships, we always have to be ready that we can get hurt by others. And the closer we get, the more they can hurt us, something I said in the last segment. And so it might have become, we don't know where this trust issue came, but you've come into a comfort zone where you prefer not to get hurt. But unfortunately, by doing that, as is the case with most of us in our comfort zone, you're not happy. You're not feeling good about life. Because you're not getting hurt, but you're alone. And so you're going to have to take some risks in breaking out of that comfort zone of getting closer to people. And I can't guarantee you no one will hurt you. There is no guarantee. But taking that risk because hopefully you'll feel like it's worth it. 
so here's the he, um, my I guess I understand that, but the thing is that so I still have feelings uh, for my ex-wife, mm-hmm. but I do know that uh, I, there is a very slim chance of us getting back together. Uh, but if I do go ahead and uh, try to to get a relationship going, and I wonder if that's what it's called, rebounding. And, it, and yeah, in a way. I, I mean, I would want you... Well, you, you, the way you described your marriage with her did not, did not seem very good. Why do you think you still want to be with her? Because I still love her. Okay, but what do you love about her? I mean, the way you described it was there wasn't much of a relationship. Uh, for the times that she was with me, um, uh, that was that was great. And uh, we were married for 25-plus years. Okay. So, uh, I, I mean, I still think about her often, and... Uh, I'm trying to forget, but it's hard. Mm-hmm. But do you think it's because it's the loneliness that makes you miss her, or really it's because you think you and her were so good together? Well, um, maybe a little of both, maybe. Um, because when we were together and when we were happy, it was good. It was and I don't know if I'm expecting too much out of the partner. Um, well, so who asked for the divorce? Um, I asked for a divorce because um, she would not, um, I guess she would not. Uh, what I felt was that I was uh, in constant competition uh, for, to get her attention. And uh, I felt that uh, I was worth being um, the number one in her life, as I, as she was for me. Uh, and uh, we went, uh, we were seeing a marriage uh, therapist, and at the end, uh, she was basically the therapist was saying, "But what, what I'm asking of her, it's, it's, it's not possible for her." She's saying it's not possible for her, or it's too much in general? Uh, she was telling me that it's not possible for her. Uh, she, and the therapist was saying basically that I need to find somebody that fulfills my needs. Okay. And um, for her being involved with her friends and solving, and that's what she described the codependency to me, and I'm I'm kind of not sure if that's what it is, but basically that she was so much involved with her friends' problems uh, and their lives, actually. And um, throughout this marriage, actually, she had lost few friends uh, mm-hmm. because she just got so involved. And um, But so uh, that's why I'm trying to understand. I, I get the sense from what you're saying you're wanting to be with her is, might be more because you're just lonely and also she was the last thing you had kind of like a drug 
and you want that drug back. But I don't get the feeling that it was a good relationship and that she wanted to give you the relationship you wanted. And yes, you can say when it was good, it was good, but it matters how the relationship makes you feel overall. I'm not saying there's something abusive here, but people who stay in a, a relationship that has domestic violence, sometimes if you ask them, they'll say, well, when things are good, they're really good. But then at other times, the person will abuse them. And of course, it's very complicated getting out of those relationships. And I don't want to come off blaming someone who stays in it. But just the way you're describing the relationship, it sounds like, well, there's these few good moments. And right now, I think because you're feeling so lonely, you're like, well, I'll take those few good moments, even if it comes with this other pain or other bad parts. And that's not the that's not what I think is good. So one, you asked about a timeline for divorce, uh, as far as dating after divorce. And you want to make sure you're over the person, which clearly you're not. So um, I wouldn't want you to date someone just to get over them because that's doing a disservice to yourself and to whoever you start to date. But you're going to have to work through this pain. And also, I think you need to fill your own life with not just activities, but getting closer to people. Because I feel a loneliness. Even when you're talking, I feel something like you, there's a sadness and a loneliness. And when you talk that I wouldn't want you to go back with someone that was a bad relationship just to get rid of that loneliness temporarily because the way you're describing it you felt alone even when you were with her and so shortly after getting back with her if that's even a possibility which maybe it's not you would likely feel the same way again and so I think it's more about learning what this marriage can teach you which is that you have a hard time being close with people and so you might even enter another relationship like this and trying to get past that, both in creating relationships and taking those risks, but also going into your own therapy. You mentioned couples therapy to try to understand what's getting in your way of being close with people. You mentioned trust. It could be that. But if, if we're living our life safe, we're never going to get the life we want. And, and when it comes to relationships, it seems like you're choosing safe over risking getting what you want. I got you. Yeah. And also, I should say this, getting what you want can be complicated because at some level, I think what you want is playing it safe, but it doesn't make you fulfilled. So your comfort zone is always going to draw you back into not getting close to people. But I hope you'll take that risk and realize it's worth it. You know, I kind of sometimes use the analogy of climbing a mountain. The higher you go, the more you can fall, uh, you know, or fall from a higher height and get hurt. But also the higher you go, the more beautiful what you get to see is. And human relationships are the same way. Unless we risk a little bit in getting open and vulnerable, we can't enjoy much. And so we end up with what you have, which is you're safe, but you don't feel very good. So I hope you'll take that risk. Um, and if you're not in therapy right now, I'd highly recommend that. Even creating the relationship with the therapist long term can help you in developing your capacity for trusting and getting close. So if you've never done long-term therapy, I would highly recommend that for you. Yes, sir. All right. Thank you very much. For Thank you. Nice it. talking to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Before we get off the air, I wanted to announce again the event tomorrow night, uh, the Iranian-American Bar Association's event. Um, so it's Thursday, March 14th at the Olympic Collection. And tickets are $85 at the door for members of the Iranian-American Bar Association, 95 for non-members. And it's not just for attorneys. Even if you're not an attorney, you can enjoy the night of speakers and also food and dancing with the DJ. And my brother, Parham Holakwi, will be giving a talk 
there, and his talk is going to be on the future of work and the role of the law and lawyers in the economy of the fourth industrial revolution. And I've talked to him about this topic before, and it's one he's looked at a lot and has some great ideas on, so I hope you'll go to check him out again tomorrow, March 14th at the Olympic Collection, 7 p.m. And before I get off the air, I'll also mention the book of the week for this week. It's Skin in the Game by Hidden Asymmetries in Daily Life by Nassim Taleb. And I mentioned his book, uh, The Black Swan, I really enjoyed. So I wanted to read this book to see what he has to say about the hidden asymmetries in daily life. All right, we've reached the end of today's show. I guess we do have a minute. Um, I wanted to mention again, people who send me books, I sometimes don't get to all of the messages. So I do see most of them. So if you don't get a response from me, it doesn't mean I necessarily didn't see your message. Sometimes I don't get back to everyone. And another note, sometimes I get personal questions on uh, social media from Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, as far as responses to personal problems. And those I don't answer because I don't think it's the right place to do that. You can always feel free to call on the show and we can talk on the air. But as far as having a back and forth on social media, I don't think that'd be appropriate for addressing personal problems. All right. Thank you to uh, Farhuda who was here in the studio and also Ghazal that came in and out. Uh, it is definitely a team effort to get things done here at Radio Hamra. So thank you to everyone who helps as part of that team. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dawakwi. Hope you have a wonderful day. Mm-hmm.